Hey guys, Charlie here. And before we get into today's show, just a quick plug for Will's stand-up tour. That's right, Will Anderson is getting back on stage. So his shows at the Brunswick Picture House have been rescheduled and are now happening on February 18th and 19th. After that, if you're in South Australia, you can catch him at the Adelaide Fringe, February 24th to March 5th. And his brand new show, Willogical, will be part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2424 promotion, which means all tickets are $24 for a period of 24 hours. And that will be happening on Tuesday, February 1st. For more information, go to willanderson.com. And now, here's the show. The following episode of Fofop is rated M.A. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week, the only way you would never have heard of him is if you've never consumed any media in Australia in the past, what, 10 to 20 years? It's of course Osher Ginsberg returning to Fofop. Thanks, mate. How are you? It's an honour to be here. I'm actually pretty good. I, I, I've i just had lunch with Audrey. Um, Wolf is at daycare and we kind of seized upon this moment, like uh, diving on a hand grenade and a World War II pick. Just go, Whoa, yes, go! And we went and had lunch at a, at a fantastic place uh, that we have missed. And we sat there for an hour and a half and talked about shit. Luxury. And it was fucking great. But I rarely eat lunch, so now I'm very tired. Is that always been a thing that you've rarely ate lunch? Like you just, that was a meal that you skipped or you'd had a big breakfast or what, what where'd uh, the... I've kind of experimented with intermittent fasting on and off over mm. the last what five years or so, and um, kind of at the moment, yeah, uh, I'm just just dinner. It does me just fine, and it's great. It's a really great way to eat. Are, um, are you finding uh, you as know, you get older, your appetite is getting smaller? Um, no, I think my my appetite is very. Uh, uh, coupled to my level of activity right so if i've i i like training training is good for my brain training is good for my body helps my bone density i'm nearly 50 it helps my bone density <laughs> you know all that kind of thing i'm covered recovering from a hip replacement you know yeah. I, so training is important so if i've done you know anyone that's ever come in from the surf uh, after you know a couple of hours surfing, we'll know like you just eat everything in the fridge because you're just ravenous. Um, and if I haven't trained that day, or I haven't ridden the bike that day. I'm I'm okay. But if I've lifted heavy, which I've done today, um, oh, I just want to eat everything. <laughs> so it it, it depends. It really depends on my activity level. Yeah, I'm wondering when I need to start like my uh, course of HGH or, or steroids because I'm noticing that I'm <laughs> in my mid 40s now and. I've gone back to weights for the first time in like two years. And it's interesting that, you know, when I, probably when I was at my peak of gymnast was like six years ago where I was sort of going five days a week, six days a week, lifting heavy. And I've switched my entire routine. Now it's much more kind of body weight focused and very rarely go to weights. But I've been doing weights for like the last eight weeks and seeing minimal change to my physique. Whereas I remember when I did it almost, you know, 10 years ago or, what is it? Yeah. Now, uh, six, seven years ago, 
I was like yeah. getting jacked after like a month, but now it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess my body's just stopped producing, uh, you know, all that testosterone, and you know, maybe that. Well, still- it, it, your your body does react differently, and you know, there's there's probably a lot of science behind this. I, you might enjoy the Huberman Lab podcast if you haven't already, but Huberman Andrew Huberman is a professor at Stanford. He does. Uh, he's got a real great episode about this actually, and that mm. and yeah, it's your. Your testosterone, uh, it's your your hormonal response to exercise does shift as you get older, but there's ways to work around that. And HGH, um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I I'm quite reluctant to do that, Charlie. You know, I understand. <laughs> I see guys my age, and you know, I see photos of guys my age or older with their shirts off. I'm like. Okay, you know, <laughs> there's someone in, with a bum bag in their life. It's really easy to tell. I don't think I want that look. You know, I it's, don't want. Uh, I don't want that. But I also, I just want to remain, you know, vi- vital and viable. Um, Wolf's going to be 16 when I'm yeah. 61. Yeah. 61. He'll be a 16 year old kid, teenage boy. I need to have my. I'm going to have to have some meat on my bones. If he wants to play silly buggers, I'm going to, I don't want to get broken, you know? That is my number one motivation for getting back into weights is like Iona's now at an age where she wants me to toss her in the air and catch her. And it's like, geez, I've got eight of these in me. I need to like, I need to start doing like sets of these so I can actually do like proper lifting and everything like that. Business idea. Fuck, get Wahlberg on the phone. This is going to blitz F45. High intensity high stakes interval training <laughs> he shit all right so you're doing yeah like wall balls right yeah but with your own child yeah. so or better someone else's so <laughs> you're like you cannot fucking fail this rep you cannot fail this set because there's a baby in the air and you have to go home and tell your husband or wife why you're in emergency <laughs> Well, I think it is like I've, I've got go a, great guns. Every shopping mall around the country, mate. I mean, that, drop the baby weight, come to his hit. I've got so many mates who have injured themselves, like seriously injured themselves, playing with their kids. Not through like any yeah. like gigantic misadventure, but I've got a friend who broke his ribs on a slide, water slide. Uh, you know, Cam Knight completely tore his Achilles trying to jump on a trampoline with his kids. That's so like, oh, oh shit, because yeah, you do have these like people in your life who are just all energy and you've got to keep up. So I'm, I actually am stretching a lot more. <laughs> the only reason being is like I own it's on the run now. And it's like I don't want to like pop a quad yeah. or something like that when no. I'm chasing after it. Uh, Wolf is, you know, it's essentially I like sandbag training sometimes mm. because um, – when I'm traveling, when I'm on, you know, on location or what, sandbags are really easy. You just throw them in your luggage, and I've got one that can get up to fifty something kilos, and one that can get to. So hang on. So, so with the sandbag, you take it empty, obviously, and then you just find a beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's yeah. You just roll it up and put it in your in your suitcase. It's a good idea. You either find a, I, you know, I, wherever I've ended up, I find a hardware store and buy, you know, a, you can buy twenty kilos of 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 um, paving sand for seven bucks. Right. You know, and then, you know, $30 later, I've got enough to work out with. But it's literally like holding, he's nearly 20 kilos. But it, it, when I hold the sandbag on one hip, it's not wriggling. It's not trying to launch yeah. itself at whatever it's just seen two meters away. <laughs> if you don't have your core strength and your shit together, you're going to drop a child. Well, maybe you'll there be in is, trouble. Like this is maybe this is a way to kind of like merge two businesses, like daycare. It's a daycare gym. Yeah. So kids get dropped off. How about this? I mean, would you be willing if if a daycare center opened up and said, "Okay, well, it'll be free for Wolfie yep. to attend." 
Yeah. But the catch is we've got people coming here to work out as well and they may use him as a free weight. Would you be okay with that? Like still be supervised, still normal gym rules and everything, but they're going to use him as like a, a free weight, like a medicine ball. Do they have the working with children check? Yeah, everything Yeah, everything is above board. Uh-huh. So it's basically you take, you know, a fully qualified daycare centre with a fully qualified gym. And let's like make it even more safe where there's actually safety officers rotating around this gym. It's just that the kids get to play with adults and the adults get to exercise with the kids and it's all above board. And you can separate the regulars from yep. the, you know, so the regulars go to the advanced classes. Yep. Yeah. And um, hey, kids, do you want to play fruit bat? It's just like in the Bluey show. <laughs> Here we go. Mate, daycare is quite daycare. Daycare, it's a, it's quite a cost. It's to expensive. Our <laughs> I mean, I would honestly. So is it. obesity. Obesity is. We all end up paying for it at the public health, That's mate. Right. I think you're onto something here, Clawson. And I think it also like establishes, you know, a good early neural pathways in the kids as well because they're getting like mm-hmm. an insight into discipline and like exercise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. guess the issue then comes down like i don't know what wolfie's like at daycare but iona it's always a bit of a 50 50 conundrum when you drop her off whether she's going to be happy to be there or she's going to be a bit clingy or, or it's going to have a bit of a sook so i guess that's the issue because now i'm thinking from the gym attendee point of view it's like mm. i find it hard enough to go into a gym when they've just got like you know the sony top 10 playlist on loop and it's like oh my god so i can't that's imagine what it'd be like in a room full of screaming babies there's there's muscle bound like gym goers are tossing them around I think it'd be brilliant. Just put a beat behind it and call it dubstep. It'd be amazing. <laughs> it'd be great. You it'd just need Max. Is it, who's it, is it Max? Who's the big Swedish producer? Max. Uh, oh, Max Martin. Max Martin. Yeah, get Max Martin yeah. behind it. Have you seen there's a documentary on, um, or it's a, a series documentary series on Netflix? It's about pop music, and each no. one is about like a different genre, so or or movement. So there's like a Brit pop episode, and there's one that's all about Sweden and Amazing. Sweden's kind of control of pop culture, starting with ABBA and then moving on to all those producers. And they basically yeah. can pinpoint it down to like one town in Sweden and almost one studio. And like they go through the top, you know, 40 hits of the past 20 years. And it's like being written by five guys essentially and girls. That's amazing. I have to watch this immediately. It's really interesting. I've, and one of the guys too, you'll love this, is um, an ex-like metalhead. Like he was playing like death yeah. metal. But he's just yes. got like a great ear for melody. And so now he writes like songs for, I don't know, Ariana Grande, all these kind of like pop stars. But then you see him in the studio and he's got the long hair and stuff. And they show you like clips from his band. It's like, oh, that's amazing. That's fucking cool. I'm going to have to, what's it called? Uh, I think it's just called Pop. It's on Netflix. Pop, 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 pop music. Pop. It's like an eight-part right, right. documentary series. A bit like the movies that made us or the toys that made us, but it's about pop music. The, um, yeah, the, I'm on I'm on to that. It's I'm really good. Um, and, but I have to be careful uh, because when I watch TV with Audrey, mm-hmm. um, she constantly – you're okay because you're married to a – you're a, a screenwriting nerd and an actor, mm. and you're married to a director. So if you were to go, you know what, that's really – I didn't think they'd use a prime lens. Yeah, yeah. Wow, look at that. That's really fucking good. Yeah, it is. Look at that camera. It's all one shot. Shut the fuck up <laughs> is what I get. Be quiet. Like, they didn't even cut there. Look, well, that's really interesting. That's the same lens they used in Mad Max when they shot in that. We, we, we just watched The Tourist on Stan. Yeah. And here I am talking about, 
if you're familiar with the first Mad Max film, they use these brilliant anamorphic lenses to make it look kind of like a, a western. It's so fucking great. There's a particular scene that they shot in a, in a forest in early when Max's spoiler alert wife gets abducted. Um, and the distortion in the back of frame is is just this iconic look, right? Mm. They use that same lens in um, in the tourist uh, when they're shooting in uh, rural South Australia, and it's fucking. I'm saying to Audrey, that's the same fucking lens from Mad Max. It's really just like, would you? I'm looking at what's his name, the good the good looking bloke from Fifty Shades of Grey. Whatever his name is, Irish. Jamie actor. Doran. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm fucking. I'm here with my other husband, Jamie Doran. And he doesn't. He doesn't talk during TV shows. Also, Jamie's been added to the uh, other husband list with the Rock mate, and uh, Jason Momoa. Mate, there's a. It's, there's a. It was a. It was a booth at a diner. It's now a conference table. <laughs> uh, been, that I now sit at. Uh, I'm among. I'm among these men. You're being, um, you're being cut I, every time you watch a movie on Netflix. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? She has great taste and I would probably would join in. <laughs> it's funny that thing you say about like, you know, being analytical or when you come from a, a, a production background, you make those comments because we were watching Coming to America 2 last week. We had some friends from Melbourne oh, staying yeah, with us. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Like it is a reflexive kind of thing where I just was like, this is a, it's, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the film is neither it. here nor there, but I was really fascinated yeah. by the direction yeah. And yeah. the art direction in particular, like the wardrobe yep. is amazing. It's kind of like they just said, let's just throw everything in this film. Let's have a dance mm. number. Now here's Macy Gray. And now let's have this. And it's yeah. like, what is, is there even like a story to this? Like, what is going on? It's, it's complete fan service for the original Coming to America, which, you know, I have affection for, but I'm not like, I didn't realize there's this, you know, underground movement of like Coming to America universe people who are like, oh, every single character comes back and they do all these callbacks. Yeah. But the wardrobe, is fantastic and the co- yeah. and the choreography is fantastic and I kept saying to Jen like this feels like a set but not a set and then I'm, and uh, it turns out that they shot most the the King's Palace so Eddie Murphy's Palace in Coming to America Two is Rick Ross's um, uh, personal estate ah. in like Georgia or something and so they shot the entire hell. Coming to America at Rick Ross's. Um, mansion. But then our friend who was watching it with this, she's like, oh, it's so interesting watching movies with you guys because you always comment on everything but the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that, we do comment on on story as well. Audrey and I, we've, we've started to comment on story, particularly when, um, like in, we watched The Bridge, the, uh, original one, the Swedish and, and, um, Danish one. Uh, and then we watched the American one, um, which is the two seasons only of the American one. There's like five of the the other one, and it's from Texas to Mexico versus yeah. um, Sweden to um, uh, fucking Copenhagen, Denmark. What's the country? Denmark. Denmark. You're talking um, to a Clausen. How dare you insult my people? Yeah, I know. So. We were getting towards, we we're like, how many more episodes to go? Because we they're starting to write themselves into corners. And we we're about at episode 11 out of 13. And we we're like, oh, fuck. They, they are. Oh, they fucking are. Anyway, then episode 12, like, oh, Jesus, they're really going to do it, aren't they? And then the final episode, you're like, okay, fuck. We knew it was coming. We, we knew it was coming. And you, it, yeah. It, and that's a real bummer when you have you, you can do it by watching enough the the rhythms and the beats are, are very similar in, in in storytelling in western culture but if you know enough about it when you see the tensions that need to be resolved yeah. and there's just too fucking many like yeah. how are you going to tie these knots up guys there's a 
there's probably, I don't know, 17 minutes left here. Then you go all Indiana Jones 4 and you're like, oh, they're not. No, no. Oh, they are. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I was so mad at the end of that one. <laughs> There's a great, we just watched um, a series on Disney Plus, uh, Dope Nation with Michael Keaton. It's all about the opioid oh, epidemic wow. in America. Have you seen that? No, 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 no. It is so good. It is, it's, uh, uh, if you had told me beforehand that, oh, yeah, it's a uh, drama about the opioid epidemic and you would, it must watch television, I'd be like, oh, I don't know. It sounds heavy and it's such a depressing subject matter. It is, Brilliant. And they it is so skillfully told. They tell it over like four different time periods with four different protagonists, you know, in law enforcement and, you know, victims of the opioid crisis and then Purdue Pharma, the family that run that. And so you're always jumping around in timelines from, you know, the mid 90s up until kind of like 2000, I think like the mid 2000s. And it is so good. Like it's so exciting. And I, I was saying to Jem, like the great thing about it is you're right. Like if you recognize story conventions and stuff, you know, you know what a hero's journey is and you know that. Mm-hmm. But they, this one, even though you know it's coming, the way that they take these characters on a journey. So you can pick who's going to be the tragic you know, um, character. Yeah, yeah. You can pick who's going to have the redemption story. But the way they do it and the things that they put their characters through to get them to that point, even though you know it's coming, like you know, there's a character that um, – uh, that you just know is on like this kind of like spiral and you know it's coming, but when it actually happens, you're like, no, you know? And I think All right. the the writers of it or the writer of it, he worked with the convention. He's like, yeah, I know that, you know, so what we're going to do is just make the whole thing really just like nerve wracking and excruciating. So, you know, the bad thing is going to happen, but you don't know in which episode or how it's going to happen. And it was just like, when the bad thing actually happened, Gemma and I were like, we have to, the next day we were just sort of in a bit of a funk and it's like, what happened? It's like, oh, that, you know, that thing happened to that character and it was so effective that it ruined the next day for us. And then we had to go back and see how they're going to resolve it. It's really, really good. If you are interested what we're talking about, about the, the conventions of story structure, I, I would, uh, brilliantly, the gift of Bluey keeps on giving. Mm. If you would like a... Literal, literally a six-minute explainer in uh, the hero's journey in story structure. Watch a Bluey episode. They're seven minutes long, but there's 30 seconds of intro and credits. Um, watch a Bluey episode called Curry Swap. And it's perfect. It is absolutely perfection. Uh, and it's the first year of screenwriting school in six minutes. I don't think I've amazing. seen Curry Shop. Curry Swap. Oh, Curry Swap. I don't think I've seen yeah. Curry Swap. Yeah, you'll fucking love it as a as a screenwriter you will you'll fucking love it um i couldn't believe it when i watched it i'm like you guys are too clever you guys are making this on 77 different levels you know you're not in it just for the merch you know there's some kids shows that are just in it for the merch yeah man that's every episode of bluey i watch i'm just stunned astounded with how good he is how good joe brum is i just am worried that Iona is going to grow out of it that's what my friends who are staying with us uh, warned me about their daughter's um, eight now and they say that you get attached to the thing they're attached to but then they move yeah. on but you don't and yeah. I'm really enjoying Bluey like she even got me into the Wiggles I'm like you know I started exploring the Wiggles a bit and getting into a bit of the Wiggles mythology but now she said to me the other day I don't like the Wiggles and I'm like what no I've invested too much in this I'm not ready to say goodbye although I- now that they've introduced like a hundred members of the group it's a little bit easier to sort of say okay you know it's a new cast I can move on from that Right. It's like in Married with Children when we got a new Christina Applegate. 
What? There's a new Christina Applegate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kelly. A, a new, what, was, what was her name? Uh, Becky? Ke- no. No, um, Kelly. Kelly, Kelly. Bundy. Yeah, we got a new Kelly. Yeah, we got a new so Kelly. So, actress playing Kelly or just a new it. Kelly type yeah. character? No, a, a, new, a, a new actress playing Kelly. That can't be right. Look that up. Yeah, I am. And they even did a whole uh, thing about it because Ted, oh, what's his name? Ted, He's in everything. Ed O'Neill. Ted no, Bundy. Ted. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, the guy is from Happy Days, the good-looking guy. Beautiful-looking man. What's his name? Um, Ted McGinley. Oh, Ted McGinley. Ted, <laughs> Ted, there was a, they even did a callback to, this is just like that episode where such and such and such. Did you ever hear um, the theory about Ted McGinley? Back in the early 2000s when Jump the Shark became kind of like pre-meme yeah. meme, but like a term that everyone used. I actually bought the Jump the Shark book where they listed all the different TV shows that had jumped the shark and oh. when. And a subplot to Jump the Shark was that if Ted McGinley joined your show, <laughs> that was a surefire yeah. sign that your show had jumped the shark. Wow. Uh, that sounds about right. I remember there was a curse about him for a little he while. He did there. Happy Days. He did Married with Children. I think he did The Love Boat. The thing yeah. was about Ted McGinley, and I can't believe we're doing a Ted McGinley deep dive, but he should have been a bigger star. He was good looking. He was charismatic. He was clearly like, you know, they wanted to create a vehicle for him, but it just never stuck. And then him getting cast in Married with Children never made any sense because they cast him as the kind of nosy neighbor archetype. But he's this yeah. really good looking dude. Like the, the previous nosy neighbor archetype had been more unlikable, not as handsome. And I just never bought the Ted McGinley nosy neighbor uh, convention. Maybe I've, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at the at the um, married with children. Maybe I've got it wrong. I think Maybe what you're confusing, wrong. because you said yeah. Becky before, is on Roseanne. Sarah Chalk replaced the original Becky, and That's they did do I'm an episode with. where they That's did it was like a um, oh, what was that old show from the fifties, the Patty Duke show? They did a joke in the credits where they had the two actresses who played Becky come out. As if they were like, you know, a mirror image of each other and sort of like yeah. do the same little dance. I think so. that's, yeah. Mate, oh, sorry. How just, dare I, you? How dare you can choose Roseanne and Married with Children? Sorry. <laughs> I, it was all on at the same time of day. It's fine. Remember. It's fine. Osh, I don't, I, I don't I, uh, I, I've been in a real nostalgia um, frame of mind lately. I mean, it's been, it's, it's probably not lately. It's been like six months where yeah. I'm just really kind of getting into YouTubing, you know, TV shows and, and music from my youth. And I, uh, I started after, off the back of watching Get Back, which I loved, I started listening to a bit of the Travelling Wilburys again. And it's like, I remember yeah. as being a kid and the Travelling Wilburys being like, oh man, like grandpa band. And it became like, to say the Travelling Wilburys was like an easy punchline for any comedian I knew. If there was like, a group of old-looking dudes out of place, you know, you see them at the yeah. pub or on stage or something like that, you'd be like, oh, didn't realize the Travelling Wilburys are here. So yeah, here he is. Uh, yeah. I started listening to it. A, the music's really good. <laughs> and B, they were all about my age, <laughs> the Travelling yeah. Wilburys. Roy Orbison was 52. But uh, You're Tom fucking Petty joking. Was, Roy Orbison was only 52? Yeah, Roy Orbison was 52 oh, when the Travelling Wilburys God. were around. Tom Petty was 37. And Get George fucked. Harrison was one year older than I was, 45. But do you remember them being like the oldest men in the world? Ever. They were so old. But look, I mean, what you could get away with wearing as a guy over 40 has yeah. changed a lot, Charlie. Mm. I just went to lunch with Audrey with a, in a pair of shorts with a singlet on and 
no one bats. And I like, I, I'm dressed like a teenager. Yeah. But no one cares. And I'm 48 years old, right? Yeah. So you're but saying back then, it'd be like, well, who the fuck do you think you are? Yeah. So you're so you're saying yeah, like people our age dressed older back then. It's yeah. the same way you see sort of old men still wearing kind of suits and button up shirts yep. and that kind of yep. stuff. It's just a yeah. different generation. Absolutely. There was also an era too where pop stars could be middle-aged men. Like you think about like Robert Palmer, Krista Berg, you know, all these kind of pop stars. And it's like nowadays you sort of think of pop and you think, well, they've got to be young and they've got to be kind of sexy or at least, you know, appealing to a young Oh my God, they have to be so fuckable. You can't be like, (laughs) when I think of of pop stars, when I think like, think Christopher Cross. Yeah. It is the night. No, no, no sleep. I'm on the run. No time to sleep. Gotta ride, ride like the wind to be free again. Like that guy, amazing voice. And what was the other one? Sailing, take me away. Like amazing yacht rock. A fucking amazing, right? You look at him, he's probably, I don't want to say anything bad about the fella, but he's on, like I've just seen a video of him singing that song live. He's on stage in like a whatever Detroit NFL team triple xl kevin smith size jersey uh, yeah. and a pair of, pair of shorts yeah. balding with a kind of like two inch fro that starts right above his ears art garfunkel style yeah in front of a stadium no fucking way Nothing if you're a pop star could you get away with that now huey lewis in the news like if you compare oh. like adam levine <laughs> from maroon five with yeah. huey lewis from huey lewis in the news like yeah. which one's more fuckable like it's no contest right well, it really depends on where you are in your life. I mean, like if you're in your kind of mid-teens to early 20s, Adam Levine's kind of tattoo moves like Jaggery Abbey tattoo situation might be pretty good for you. Yeah. But if you're in your kind of mid-30s and, you know, <laughs> Huey Lewis wants to talk to you about the power of love, you're like, you're right then. <laughs> Let's go back in time, baby. I want a new drug. You know it's what called Huey. line in that song has always bugged me and I'm, I'm just not quite sure if, it, if the logic works you know those like lyrics where you hear it and like oh yeah and then you think about it and you're like does that make sense so don't need money don't yep. need fame don't nope. need no credit card to ride on this train nope have you ever needed a credit card to ride on a train like prior nah. to like the mikey system when the song was written who is paying for a train ticket with a credit card and it's not like it's an essential item for train travel is it like, no, don't need no, money, you, don't need fame, don't need no ticket to ride on this train. That's fair enough. Or yeah, is I, there I, something to the credit card? Is he talking about, hey, love's more than money, don't need money, don't need fame? Uh, uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, look, it was, when when was it? Uh, 85, 80s, 85, 85, 86. Like, I've been watching a lot of Narcos, so, like, nothing but cocaine was happening in the pop music world. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Sorry. he's like, no, you know what? I know I'm going to get on the rails, but not those kind of rails. I don't need, don't need no credit card. If you know what I'm saying, Charlie. If you know what I'm saying, I'm all right here. Maybe that's what he was talking about. I don't know. Huey Lewis and the Nose, I believe uh, they were known as when, when they're in the studio. Look, if you want to know how fuckable Huey Lewis is, what's that movie he did with um duets uh, where they did uh, with Gwyneth yeah Paltrow. duets when they did cruising yeah. cruising together. Um, he's very rootable. Still. Is he still? He has a thing about him. Yeah, he's got a thing about him. I don't know. He's if, look. I would, I'm not saying he is this, but he'd be one of those celebrities. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out like he's ultra right wing. You know how occasionally you, you won't hear from someone in 20 years, and then it's like Chris Novoselic apparently loves Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, 
Meanwhile, Chad Kroger from Nickelback is like, you know, behind Bernie Sanders. It's like, wow, I never would have seen that coming 20, 30 years ago. This is how you remind me of these things, Charlie. <laughs> so I had the... If, um, only, if only I had a photograph of the two of them together. <laughs> <laughs> so when I um, was in my nostalgia dip, um, uh, Gemma was in the shower. And so I... Uh, I was playing music uh, of of the era that we were youths, yep. um, and then as a joke, I was like, "Oh, what's the kind of, what's the the most kind of like um, generic pop song from the late '80s?" And then I was like, "Oh, Millie Vanilli," and so I threw it on, and Jem started going, "No, like turn it off, turn it off," and I was listening to it, and then it, I just it triggered a three day journey of me oh. reading and watching every bit of Millie Vanilli news because. For kids, if you're a bit younger, I mean, you're probably aware of Millie Vanilli. They sort of become synonymous with people who fake it or, you know, uh, uh, like it, it's um, uh, it's either a slight on the pop industry in general or, you know, people who, who are, are fake pop stars. But to live through it, it was a huge scandal, right? Like it seems yeah. kind of quaint today. Like if you said, oh, yeah, um, one of those K-pop bands, like, you know, none of them can sing or they, they're heavily modulated. You'd be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, we all understand what pop music is, but... What happened with Millie Vanilli? Like it was the showbiz scandal of the late 80s. Would you agree? Well, they had to hand their Grammy back. That's right. They had to hand their fucking Grammy back. Well, they were it, just two, uh, Rob and Fab, I think they're the German guys. Yeah. Uh, they were just dancers. They were. And I guess, a, I guess a producer found them and went, you guys, in the video, let's go. Well, and. On, the, on went the bike pants. Yes. And away they went. So, and the song was catchy. And here's these guys that look very similar. And the name matches. And they're kind of twinsy looking. And They had the five singles make the top huge, 20 on huge. the Billboard charts. Like, I sort of remember Millie Vanilli, but I didn't know. And they won a Grammy for Best New Act. Like, that is a huge kind of, like, yeah. meteoric rise. And so... In reading about it, and you're exactly right, so they were just like two dancers, one from uh, Germany, one from France. There was a German producer who was putting together a group. They answered an ad, and they went into it kind of like, you know, they're in their early 20s and sort of wide-eyed. They recorded a track where they did do the vocals because they were singers, and the producer was like, uh, you know what, we've got some session singers. We'll, we'll come in and don't worry about it. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, um, we'll do another track later, but we need to get this single out. That single goes out to huge hit. And so then the, the Rob and Fab are like, okay, well, can we sing on it now? It's like, oh, well, you know, we need to release this new single and we're onto a good thing. And so they got trapped into this thing where they kept sort of just naively going, oh, yeah, eventually they'll let us yeah. sing until it got so big that they're backed into a corner because now, you know, the train is on the rails. And for them yeah. to actually say anything is going to, like, they're going to lose their money, they're going to lose their fame, but, like, huge consequences. So they sort of got trapped by this... I mean, on one hand, I can sort of understand, you know, how that could happen. On the other hand, you're like, why didn't you just like if you because they say in all these interviews that we fucking hated it, you know, and, and we felt really yeah. trapped and we were scared and we didn't know how to get off this freight train. But then yeah. another part of me is like, well, you know, all you got to do is just like tell someone. But I guess this is in the era before social media where things could yeah. be sort of kept a bit more contained because that's the other yeah. crazy thing is like they're performing at the Grammys. They're performing yeah. at music festivals. Like, you've been at enough of these kind of things. Do you reckon you can pick up lip syncing from live performance? Or live well, vocals, I should say? At the time, what was it, 1990, 89? Well, it was something like that. Um, at the time, 
technology hadn't been able to really let this happen before, okay, in mm. a, certainly in a live sense. But they were most certainly not the first band to ever mime. No. Oh, my God, no. Well, That's been going on as, like, famously Boney M. Nobody you saw in the Boney M videos was on the record. Oh my God, no! The right. people on the record cover weren't the people singing. You know, that's just but no one gave a shit because it was disco, right? Um, and they, it wasn't the first time it happened. I, I guess I, you know, when I think about it now, um, at the time, the, I, I remember Madonna getting raked over the coals for for miming yeah. live, and no, they didn't destroy her career, but she's a a white woman. Um, but these guys, they were, you know, it was. Well, upside down. I actually have a story about miming live, which will fucking. I've never spoken about this. Okay. But it's it's amazing. All right. I um part of my former career was a voiceover person. Uh, I don't do it so much anymore. Um, but I used to read ads, a lot of ads, and um, I I was once actually Coco the monkey. Uh, I never got to say the catch line, but I was once Coco the monkey for a little while. For Coco Pops. Uh, yeah. Did you do an accent? Wh- I was like this, and I said, "Oh, I can't wait to win the Coco Pops Cup." Oh my that? god, I think I, I, I recognized that. Yeah, yeah, that was me. So, in one of these studios uh, was the former—I won't say the name of the studio. I won't add him, but you can find out who it was. The former keyboard player of the Australian band Ice House. Great Southern Land, all over you. Okay, don't have to give people clues. <laughs> yeah. So he was his studio. Yeah, and he was the engineer. And um, you know we were we were talking. Uh, this is early Channel V, so ninety nine two thousand. We were talking about something miming. Some I think Britney Spears. I think that right. I think was getting in in the shit for it at the time, um, which I'd love to tell you about later because I know someone that went to go see her Vegas show. Anyway, <laughs> um, and we were talking about. It, he goes, "Oh mate, we toured with the Cars on the back of." Their song "Drive." Mm-hmm. All right, so if you remember the Cars, the um, she gave me just what I needed. Same producer yeah. that did Bohemian Rhapsody. Ted, what's his name? I don't know. The guy that did all the massive layered background vocals. Yeah. He then worked with the Cars, and that's how they had those unfucking believable Rick pop choruses. Rick Ockensek or something. Rick Ockensek was the singer, but the yeah, the producer was the one that put all it anyway. So off the back of "Who's Gonna Drive You Home," that one, they were on that tour, Ice House. They were trying to break this Australian band in America. So okay. they went on tour with them. And when you're the support band, you've got to do all your sound check and stuff, but you've got to do it after the main band. So the main band has their sound check before the doors open, make sure everything's working, and you just have to basically sit around. And if you're a super fucking star band like the Cars, you can turn up. If doors are at eight, mm. you can turn up at seven for your sound check. And if you're the support band, you've got exactly eight minutes to get all your shit set up. You might get a line check going, yeah, I'm seeing a signal, but we'll have to figure out the fallback later. Doors are opening, and that's it. You don't get a sound check. So he tells us story that they were all sitting at the front at the at the front of house desk waiting waiting hours are going by they have to wait for the cars to show up and one by one these guys walk in and um and they would walk up to the this is 1984 i think Mm. they would walk up to the front of house guy and go hey buddy i'm on tonight no problem (laughs) and then they would walk off you know up there and then hey man Mom tonight. All right, great, great, great. Everyone's texting in my book. Uh, and then the story is that uh, I think it was the bass player. He walks in. He's got uh, like a super hot new female friend uh, mm. on each arm, sunglasses on. And he walks in and he says, I'm not on tonight. And he walks <laughs> off to stage. 
front of house guy, you know, turns around and basically lifts up a, a, you know, a, a, a drape, like a, something like a tablecloth thing. There's two um, Tascam 32-track reel-to-reel gigantic studio tape machines because right. they didn't have hard drives. They, didn't, right. like, they had to play this shit off tape. They had the whole fucking show. Because there was so much sequencing and live sequences weren't very reliable at the time. They would crash all the time. There's stories of Sting and the police. The start of synchronicity when the thing would crash and he would have to then go over and reload the thing and start it up again because they weren't very reliable on stage. Right. So they would. these guys were running off tape. And so there's these gigantic, uh, you know, huge studio quality tape machines they're touring with. And they were feeding into the front desk. And so basically the, the front of house guy goes, no problem, no problem. And he just turns down the live DI from the baseline and turns up the, the, the wow. one off the track. Audience didn't know a fucking thing because they had all these big vocals. Like there's only four of them on stage. They can't do 16 voices for the big choruses. But like that's the, I'm on tonight. I'm not on tonight. Like it just blew my mind. So they, hang on. They is it, was it, with it, so he, was it just his vocals or his actual bass that you- Bass. Uh, his bass, yeah, right. Everyone. And so, so does I'm that literally mean just going to stand on. Everyone else on stage is going to be playing live, yeah. But me, you're going to be playing the recorded version of me. Okay, he's going to go on stage it. and he's just going to mime. And so, does that yep. mean? Does that mean that the? Um, does that mean that the band their set is like the same every night? Because if every night, okay, so they know every, they, they, every night. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, there's no risk of like <laughs> them but going pre- into like a jazz odyssey and the no. bass isn't playing. But again, it's it's pre-social media and and you know it's like a it's like a musical. You're not going to you know start the second act with a song that's second. That no, it's like yeah. here's the show and there we go and then we go away. We pretend you go we want more, we want more. We come back and there's the song you know from the radio and then we play the one that you all sing along to. And then the house lights go on and we all go home. Um, yeah, it's the same thing every night. Well, but the, the interesting thing about gonna... Millie Vanilli is so there has been this movement now because because of YouTube and and like new audiences discovering Millie Vanilli and where we are with pop music and accepting yeah. that, you know a lot of stuff's pre recorded is there is this kind of movement for them to have their Grammys restored because the <sighs> argument is, well, the band, like if, if you're saying that Millie Vanilli is an act, sure, they're not the guys who sang it, they didn't write the music, but they were the faces that sold it and they were the dancers that sold it. And, you know, if you're going to say that, yeah, like, you know, uh, Ashley Simpson or whoever that girl was, you know, who got caught miming and stuff, if she was going to have her career, then no one yeah. asked her to return her awards. And it's also yeah. this thing of um, uh, it was a kind of more of a, a a political move at the time because they had they just won the best new act and apparently in the music industry it was kind of an open secret that look they are not uh, they're not they're not singing the songs and apparently any journalist who interviewed them when they broke in the states because they broke really big if you see them spit try and speak English it's a real stretch to go. Oh, so these guys who can't speak English very well but can go on stage and sing with perfect English, we're meant to believe that's the same guy. But I look at that and because I've just watched a whole bunch of like videos of Millie Vanilli and I think it's tremendous skill that these dudes could mime so well. Like I know, yeah, I know all we're lacking here, if you're going to say, hey, look, it's just entertainment, then there's nothing fucking wrong with what these guys did because they look great, they could dance. Only those guys could have pulled off the bike shorts Doc Martens combo. The reason why people get their noses out of joint is because they were given an award and the Grammys got their nose out of joint. So what happened is their basically their manager, this German guy, 
he went. Uh, they were threatening to go to the media. They were. It was getting more out more out of control, and they were insisting that they sing on the next album or the next track or whatever it is. And so, in a power move, this producer was like, "Fuck these guys! I can get two new frontmen." So he leaked to the media about his own band that oh. they're miming. And so that was, I don't know how many months it was after they won the Grammy, but then um, the two guys, Fab and Rob, called a press conference the next day and said, look, we fully intend to give our Grammy back. You know, we're sorry if we're, yeah. anyone's disappointed. But they became these kind of pariahs. Like I remember in the early 90s, yeah. like if you watched any In Living Colour or, you know, Saturday Night Live, there was a couple of Millie Vanilli yeah. jokes in there. I'm pretty sure I saw one of the Wayne brothers playing someone from Millie, Millie Vanilli. But, it's interesting you it, hang on, it's interesting you mentioned in Living Colour, because that's where Jennifer Lopez started as a, a dancer. dancer. She was she one of the fly, fly girls. girls. Yeah. And on that Jennifer Lopez song Play, play, come and did you play my song? That right. Yeah. That year that year she won a Billboard Award for Best New Artist. Nineteen ninety nine. She won a Billboard Award for Best New Artist. That is Christina Millian's voice singing that chorus. Is it really? Not Jennifer Lo- Yes, fuck yeah. And it's not Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez didn't give have to have to give her award back because in ten years by then no one gave a fuck. So that's that's <laughs> that's public knowledge. That's on the record. That, yeah. Really. Yes. 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 Yeah. But it sounds like J Lo, doesn't it? I'm just thinking of that's hey, because she mimes it in the video, and your brain thinks it's her. It's not. Wow, that's fascinating. We could you could do music related podcasts about the time that I worked in the music industry anytime because I can I, I know a lot of shit about that. Oh, but yeah, like after two thousand six, nothing. <laughs> just, ga- just ca- chasm, chasm. Well, uh, unfortunately <laughs> for me, it's like after nineteen ninety nine. I don't know. Anything. <laughs> That's so fascinating. You should say that. I watched this uh, this really interesting TED talk um, last week from this neuroscientist who was talking about. Um, uh, is talking about a consciousness and this idea that, um, you know, the sensory input that we get in, what is just as important is what we're putting out from our brains. He said, so like, you know, we're receiving electrical impulses via light or, you know, vibrations, which we convert to sight and sound. And he said, but essentially, um, you know, we are, you are creating, you are creating the reality of what those impulses are giving you. And so he did this little, experiment uh, in the TED talk to show what he meant and so he played this like audio recording which just sounded like gobbledygook just like sort of garbled kind of gobbledygook oh yeah yeah and so he yeah. played it a couple of times he's like can anyone discern you know anything out of that and, and people like no and then he played it a third time and this time he'd laid over it him saying Brexit was a bad idea and then he played it a fourth time and when you heard the garble you heard clearly Brexit was a bad idea but then he said the fourth time I played that I didn't that I, it was exactly the same as the first two times you heard it. But your brain, being this pattern-seeking machine, has created meaning on that. And he's gone, so that's what your brain is doing all the time, is you are creating uh, uh, an interpretation because, what did he call it? Um, predictive perception. So your brain wow. is in this constant state of trying to guess, you know, because your field of vision is only this wide and your brain is building yeah, yeah. outside of that. And so in order to kind of like speed things up for you, it's saying, well, you're in your office and so you've got your door on that side and that side, but then you might turn and see there's a huntsman on the wall that you didn't see because your brain didn't factor that into its perceptive prediction. So he was then saying, so if that's the case and we understand that what we are putting out into the world is just as important as what we're taking in, then you've really got to take into account how someone's brain works or the environment they grew up in, or the experiences they've had to that point. Because clearly, 
that is coloring uh, their reality. And he said, so obviously, you know, we all agree that, you know, rocks are hard and, you know, mattresses are soft and stuff. So there's some things that essentially are just widely agreed upon. But our specific experience of all those things, you know, is different. And it may be only minutely different, but it's all different. And he was kind of saying that, you know, this is the territory we're moving into with consciousness is understanding a bit more about how we relate to each other or how we relate to the world around us. And this, it just made, you made, when you were talking about the uh, J-Lo and Christina Milan thing, it made me realize, you know what? I probably saw that song first before I heard it. And I probably saw the music video and I saw J-Lo saying those words. And so now when I hear the song, my brain has done uh, some perce- uh, perceptive prediction and gone, oh, yeah, that's exactly, you know, that's J-Lo singing that song. But maybe it isn't. Maybe <laughs> the people at BMG or Sony or whoever released that song are actually neuroscientists trying to show us that our brains are creating our reality around us. And if you play that record, if you play Jennifer Lopez's Waiting for Tonight uh, backwards, <laughs> what do you hear? Brexit's going to be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you hear. I've, I've, I've heard a similar example of that, though. Yeah. What the fuck is that? And then someone says, that's a person saying uh, it's windy outside. And then you they play exactly the same file. And you go, oh, fuck. And you hear it. it it's terrifying to know that we're that easily manipulated. <laughs> yeah, it, it's terrifying. But there's also some kind of like, uh, there's some hope there, isn't there, that you can sort of, like if... You know, if you're thinking of sort of basic psychology and if if you're someone who, uh, you know, was bullied in high school, it makes sense that you when you walk into a room full of strangers and you see three people talking and they stop and they look at you, that your perceptive prediction might be, yeah. oh, those people are judging me, those people are talking about what I'm wearing, you know, because that's been your experience at that point. Whereas yeah. someone who's had a different upbringing or is more confident might just be three guys who are having a chat and stop because you walked in the door. But... It's interesting because I wonder about myself, like, you know, the experiences I've had and, and you know, I've talked to on other podcasts I've done about, like, you know, obviously your past is your past. And I don't necessarily think that, uh, what does Eckhart Tolle say? That if you're obsessed with your past, you're depressed. And if you're obsessed with your future, you're anxious. And I, I think, think that- he said, I, I actually, I think he said, if you're obsessed with your past, you're depressed. Oh. If you're obsessed with your future, you are anxious. Yeah, I'm that's gonna, I think. I'm that's... gonna go to sleep. Do not listen to Eckhart Tolle in audiobook. It is absolute chaos. <laughs> You'll go straight to sleep. <laughs> just... This is the pain body speaking. The to pain you. body. That's right. <laughs> but it's interesting. I think that that idea of you look at your past because you can learn lessons from it, but it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to define who you are now. Because I'm often sort of thinking about like, oh, you know on a real basic level, if I'd been encouraged at this at an earlier age, you know, maybe I'd be like really good at that now. Like, you know, it's almost like a past bias, like that past Charlie had more commitment, <laughs> you know, to an activity. Yeah. Like I could have been a pianist or I could have been an ice skater or something if just, you know, somehow I'd been encouraged by my mother. But it's it, what it sort of negates is the fact that you have the opportunity now in the present, being aware of these things to make that decision, you know, to kind of go, oh, those guys, you know, I, maybe those guys aren't talking about me. Or if they are talking about me and I feel threatened, who gives a fuck? Like, you know, how does that impact my life? I can sort of sit on that and allow it to kind of eat it, eat away at me or I can just move on. And, and but that's what you've just discussed is the, that, that is the, the core of what mindfulness is all about. 
it, it, it really is. It's, it's, you have to accept that who you were when you young Charlie made those decisions, had those mad gains up at the gym. Um, that is not you now. That is not you living where you live. Um, you know, with your circumstances with, you know, a kid now married, you know, two completely different human beings. Yeah. Like if it was Charlie 10 years ago at the gym versus Charlie now, like if they met in the street, it'd be, one might have something the other wants, but oh, the younger Charlie people. would definitely make so much fun of present day Charlie, but younger Charlie would also need to borrow some money and probably need a place to stay. So fuck him. <laughs> well, also don't, don't forget that like parts of your body there. I reckon what is this? It's somewhere between seven to 10 years. If you were to go 11 years ago, there's, I think, outside of your teeth, there's, there's no cell on your body right now that was you. How eleven far years back? ago? How long? What are you saying? I, I think it's it, the cells replace themselves every seven to ten years. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, like, completely replaced in the seven to ten years. So, if you, yeah. so, eleven to be safe. If we went eleven years ago, I think your teeth are the only thing. I definitely that got still... rid of my muscles. I shed my muscles in the past seven years. <laughs> that has happened. Definitely. But that's, you know, and that's, you know, I think about I'm having a, a you know, a bit of trouble. I'm having trouble with my uh, recovering from a hip replacement surgery. 2% of complications doesn't mean no percent of complications. And I, I won the jackpot. And um, my, my guy who's helping me learn how to move again, he said to me, well, it hurts now, but you get a new body every seven years. So don't worry. Is that it won't right? be like this forever. And, and that's, that's the science. And um, that's, it's really kind of good to know that in the back of your head that, yes, you might have made mistakes in your past. Mm. But that wasn't actually you. It actually physically wasn't you. Your yeah. teeth were there, but it literally wasn't you. I mean, it, I guess was, I guess it, it works the same in like in the other direction. You know, in future you, like there's that procrastination thing which I'm really good at, which is like I'll get around to it tomorrow because by then I'll definitely be, you know, I'll definitely be up for like you know writing yeah. that thing or cutting that thing or whatever. And then you get to the next day and you're like, oh, fuck, like this sucks. I don't want to do this. It's like, yeah. why do we have this bias? Do you think with a 24-hour period, I'm going to change so dramatically that that thing I'm dreading doing now I've been putting off for weeks. I'm so- Tomorrow, Charlie, he'll be all over that shit. Oh man, I've had to learn. I've had to learn the hard way around that. And uh, it was one thing that really changed that for me. It was the, it was the two-minute rule. And it's it's a common thing, but I learned it about oh, about 10, 11 years ago. It was right after I got divorced, actually. Um, it was, if you can do it to completion in less than two minutes, do it right now. Stop what you're doing. Excuse me, I'll be right back. Do it right now. And that's send an email, send a text, you know, take the garbage out, whatever. Because otherwise, all that RAM that just gets the spinning beach balls in your brain, <laughs> uh, that's on Mac OS X, but you would get a blue screen uh, if you're on PC. That your brain just starts to slow down and lag and glitch because you've got, oh, fuck, I've got to pay that thing and I've got to do this. I call that person, text that person, take the rubbish out. Oh, my God, I'm on the couch. Yeah, yeah. It just takes up so much effort to push those thoughts away. It takes more effort to push those thoughts away than it does to fucking do the thing. Yeah. But once I learned that two-minute rule, boom, that's my, a good it changed rule. my life, mate. Yeah, and that's a good rule because there are a bunch of things which I'm like, I'm even looking at my desk now at this pile of things that I have to get done. And you're right, like it would literally probably take me five minutes at the most to kind of, you know, go through that stuff. But I keep being, it's actually more of a burden for me to worry about when I'm actually going to get around to it. Make a game of it. Make a game of it. Set your stopwatch, go like, how long do you think? You said five minutes? Yeah. Like, 
I reckon I can get it on four. Yeah. All right. Set a stopwatch on your phone and go. And then see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, if you make it, it's like, honestly, it's you're now a parent of a toddler. You're looking after the toddler in your that that part of you that doesn't want to do that shit is the same as your daughter or my son. People are like, no, no, I don't want to. I don't want to go to bath time. I don't want to go to dinner. Right? Uh, You're gonna have to. Oh, I don't want to do it. You're gonna have to do it. And then they get there and like, oh, this is great. Bath's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, isn't that isn't that the truth? Like you'll get such resistance, and initially you're like, oh fuck, like how am I ever gonna make this work? But then you come to realize they don't know what they're saying. They're saying no to this. And then two minutes no. later, they fucking love it. And it's like, because I used to be like, oh, man, I'm going to have this. She's like Hannibal Lecter. She's fucking outsmarted me again. She's got inside my head. But then I'm like, no, no, no. She's saying no. But then we just get in the car and then she's happy to go. But it's yeah. someone actually gave me some great advice. I was around at a friend's um, for lunch a couple of days ago. She, her daughter's all grown up now. But Iona... Um, Iona's been going through this period of kind of like, not you, dad. Like, she's a real mean uh, girl. You can't sit uh, with this. Like, it's all about mum, oh, but like deliberately exclusionary to me where she's oh, like, like, other day we're all going to go for a walk. And she's like, no, you, dad, you stay home. I'm oh. like, come on, kid. But the mum said, you got to understand from the kid's point of view, this is all a game. Like, she's acting, you know, serious when Iona says it, but she's gone, if when you react... Because sometimes I'd, I, like, I, I would react on like a playful level. I'm like, come on, you know, I'm your friend. Other times I would sort of try and sincerely like address, why don't you want daddy to come, you know? But she said, don't give her any reaction because that is what she's looking for. And that becomes a game and a way to get attention and a way to kind of, because you're always giving her something. She said, it's much easier just to ignore that, smile and just move on because she's going to forget it in two minutes and then you'll be on to the next thing. This is making me miss dad pod a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> make it's making me miss dad pod. We tried we tried pretty hard to, to keep it to to, to, to lip syncing and miming. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, the good thing about Vovob, it, it's everything to everyone or nothing to everyone. Everything. To, well, yeah, it it is. Well, I, I, dad I, dad pod is coming back, and I'm very grateful about it because there's just so much. There's so much to. Unpack. talk about there's so much to unpack there's so much to talk about and there's just this this you know this chasm of of conversation out there about um about being a dad that isn't dumb fat dad who forgot to pay the insurance that you see in every commercial mm. you know it's well, you know very what i think our let's have a business meeting on it <laughs> you know what i think our where we pitch it or where I think it sits perfectly is yeah. there's none of that middle ground. I think there is dumb dad and that is, you know, the predominant kind of portrayal in advertising yeah. and stuff like that. But then there's also fucking expert dad. And I oh, feel like, him. I feel like neither, <laughs> neither speaks to me. I'm neither an expert and I'm neither a dumb dad. Oh, I'm the dear. dad who kind of like thinks I'm doing an okay job, but there are certain things that confound me. And yeah. that's kind of what I'm hoping for, you know, dad pod season four is that we can actually have these conversations and maybe get people yeah. feeding back to us, either coming to us with things that we can talk about or, yeah. uh, you know, giving us solutions or bringing people on who can give us solutions. I was talking to Gem yeah. about it and she's like, 
what a great way to get some free kind of like pediatric advice. And I'm like, oh, oh. mate, absolutely. This is all about, mate. My whole podcast is 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 me doing my climate anxiety therapy, but <laughs> every week, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I've I've met that dad. I've met expert dad. Like if you're yeah. Steve Biddle, fine. But I've <laughs> met that dad. I've I've met that dad. I was like lit. Like he's the guy from the movies who's like, oh uh, yeah, this is little. Uh, this is little Aton. Yeah, yeah. How old are you, Aton? I'm three years old next Tuesday. Yeah, nice one, Aton. And uh, do you know where with this with this man? Do you know what country's from? He's from Australia. Their crest is like this. Blah 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 blah. He goes, Yeah, we teach him at home. Like, man, fuck you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, yeah. I've I've met that guy and uh yeah, it was it was a punish. How, how much <laughs> pride like I have this constant sort of um, uh, conversation in my head where, like, Iona is kind of something she's really getting really good at. Like, you know, she can almost sing the entire ABC song. She can count to 10. It's all these kind of things. And some, you know, the daycare staff and, and you know, other childcare people have been like, oh, you know, she's um, that's pretty advanced for, like, a two-year-old and she's doing some things. And, like, I'm like, oh, that's good. Um, and that's good. Then I'm like, do I – is my, like – I don't know if it's the Catholic in me, but I'm like, do I just kind of like keep this to my like keep this to myself, or do I reinforce what I'm being told to her? Do I say, you know, that you're that's so amazing, and you know, you're ahead of schedule or this kind of stuff? Like, I don't I don't know if it's because there is part of me which is like just be humble and you know keep everyone around humble and you know just everyone everyone just keep your heads down tall poppies like don't stick your head up but like or should i be celebrating uh, what my daughter is doing well or is ahead of schedule on well look it's interesting you say that because uh the last time that wolf and iona hung out which is a couple of weeks ago um i certainly noticed that i was like holy shit <laughs> this kid is bang on and yeah and and that's okay you know it's some some I had to learn pretty early, like just because Wolfie was late to walk, right? I had to learn that just because other kids who's, you yeah. know, uh, Iona has been in a race with his whole life because they're four <laughs> weeks apart. Yeah. Um, just because other kids have figured out how to do this or whatever. It's like, you're on your own time scale, mate. Like, yeah. And, and don't make it reflect upon me. But similarly, if they're doing really well, like Iona, she's a, she's a switched on kid. Yeah. And I remember when Gemma was telling me about some app that you guys use. We tried to get it for oh. Wolf and he was like, he was like, Oh, fucking dragonfly! Cool. <laughs> and that was it. It was the iPad turned off, and away we were away. And and that's fine. And I can't let myself get fucked off or upset or like, oh no, because he's not there. As far as what should you do about it, man, I don't know. I would just say what 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 you do whenever you reinforce her. Just like that's who she is. And if I could say, you know, just helping her, helping her manage that. If she's if she's operating at a higher oscillating speed than other kids. She's probably going to need some equally robust regulation skills because well, her emotions figured, will probably be up there as well. I mean, looking at my friends who have kids of all varying ages, you know, you know, from uh, uh, Iona and, and Wolfie's age right up to teenagers, I think it's just like if it's a, a, a marathon, kid, some kids are bolting out the gates and then like, you know, they'll get to the 200 and the, and the field will even out a bit. And I think that... Yeah. That's kind of what you forget sometimes because you're in such direct contact and you're seeing every incremental change. To you, yeah. it sort of feels like, oh, it's taking forever or, you know, this, this is, this is going to stay this way forever. But then yeah. in the long run, like I've got friends whose kids, you know, their entire personalities have changed or their interests have changed. You know, they've gone from being indoor kids to outdoor kids or whatever it is. And I think there's so many more of those 
twists and turns to come. I'm excited by it. Like, I'm looking forward to see what kind of person she's going to be. Like, I can already get a sense of her sense of humor now. But I'm really excited to see, like, what makes her laugh when she gets older. She's very much like her dad. She's very much farts are funny right now. Like, it's the, that's the thing that gets her every time. But I'm like, <laughs> I hope this gets more sophisticated at some stage. Like, I, even though I'm not, I hope hers gets more sophisticated. Mate, I, I'm pretty sure that Adam Sandler bought Aston Martins for everybody in um, <laughs> grown ups the too. grown-ups as a, as a gift, um, not because he made the most fantastic um, existential philosophical humor of all time. He's like, no, nah, that's yeah. by Aston Martins for everybody. Let's go. <laughs> There you go. Farts are still funny. Profitable, mate. Farts are hilarious. It's the original joke. Invest Wolf in laughed at a fart at three months old. <laughs> George laughed at a fart at two months old. They're hilarious. It's the original joke. It's great. Speaking of Adam Sandler, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, a friend of mine sent me this video uh, of Chris Farley. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's Chris Farley making an entrance on the Dave Letterman show where they're like, yeah, Chris Farley, and he comes in incredible. through the back door and he comes down like a fucking human tornado, swinging his head around, doing cartwheels, picks a guy up out of the crowd, runs him outside, throws him into a dumpster. I watched that like five times and it was just like, this is brilliant. Like I actually can't, and the thing about it that makes it so brilliant is it's only something that Chris Farley could have done. Like it's, it's clowning. It's the very like it's very basic clowning, but there is something about that enormous man being so light on his feet and twisting and turning and then doing the cartwheel of stage, which is just like this is fantastic. The greatest talk show entrance in the history of television. Easily. I've seen it. I don't know exactly what we're talking about. And he was Unbelievable! If you listen to the early episodes of Jay Moore's podcast, More Stories, oh, yeah. you know this. We're, uh, we're going back like 2010, right? Yeah. Um, he he was on SNL at the same time Farley was on, and he his stories about Farley are just hit the reverence in his voice is like his his line is like he was like the sun. The sun, yeah. He, he would walk into the room, and you would just be like, <laughs> "Fucking hell!" He was just this em, just emanating. Emanating just vast amounts of energy, but you're you're right with the clowning. It's it, it in, if you watch that, and you should absolutely watch it because it's brilliant and it's it makes so all funny. physical comedy all physical comedy pale in significance. If you haven't seen, bear in mind this is like the Letterman, CBS, fucking squillions of people watching yeah. talk show at the time. Internet, uh, this talk show would make or break whether or not he would get movie deals or whatever. Like huge, it builds you onto a star if you get the nod from Letterman, right? Mm. And it's his commitment, Charlie. Yes. His commitment to it, knowing exactly, yeah, this is fucking preposterous what I'm doing and I don't fucking care. And it was, it's amazing. It's, it's so fucking, funny it's that you should bring up that Moore stories. I, like, after I watched that clip, my mind went back to Jay Moore's stories about Chris yeah. Farley. I would never in a million years have not thought I knew anyone who listened to Jay Moore's short run uh, uh, <laughs> podcast, Moore Stories. He tells a I story about, about Chris Farley, about... Um, him being dead to take a shit out the window of uh, the SNL writers' the room. Yep. <laughs> out of Thirty Rock, yeah. and he did it. He lent his ass, Chris fucking Farley's gigantic ass. He put it out the window, and he shat down onto whatever Madison Avenue or whatever Rockefeller Plaza was below them. I would love it. to know if, like, I mean, if that hits someone, like, because I thought about that as like if it hit me. Right. And, you know, you were somehow able to trace it back to where it had come from. 
am I a big enough man that I'm like, you know what? I get that's funny. <laughs> like, it's not just like, no one. It's Chris Farley and the fact that he was dead. Like, if the cast of SNL came down, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You're covered in shit. Look, here's the story behind it. <laughs> Would I be a big enough man to go, you know what? This is kind of humiliating and a bit of an inconvenience, but you know what? It is funny. It, and yeah, I, I I agree. And at the time, Farley was a massive superstar, and imagine? you would be dying. You'd be dining out on that for forever. It'd be a, it'd be amazing. It'd be great. Uh, Osh, thank you so much for coming back on Fofop. A sneaky little pug uh, for Dad Pod, which will be returning again this year. We haven't set a firm date, but we are both keen to bring Dad Pod back. What you're looking yes. at? What? Well, we're in, I'm looking at the. Th- oh. We have a Trello board. Oh right, and I actually have it open. Yeah, we're in, we're in we're in the pre-production, pre-production phase. You know, you're serious when you've got a fucking pre-production <laughs> phase for a podcast. Uh, but yes, we're in the pre-production phase, and I'm very I'm very very excited about it because um, uh, I, I'm I'm still really proud of it, I, and I'm I've got mates who are you know expecting their first kids, and I um I tell them to start at the for episode one of season two. Yeah, and um. I'm like, just start there. The first 26 or whatever is us basically live blogging what we're going through. <laughs> but if you start at episode one of season two, and I've had people, like, great feedback. So I'm grateful that it's out there. I'm grateful that, and I'm, I'm grateful, you know, when it comes to dad pod, and I say it all the time, you can't be what you can't see. You know, mm. if you haven't heard, um, you know, people talking positively about fatherhood, um, it's all fucking kids, all fucking this, all yeah. fucking that, ball and chain. Blah, I mean, that's, blah, blah, blah. It, it, look, it's funny to do that from time to time. Let's not uh, yeah. dispense oh, with that. Oh, yeah, 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 you yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to save it for the right occasion. You don't, that can't for be the right default. Occasion. It gets a bit tired if that's your default. But let's not throw yeah. the baby out with the bathwater, literally. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, because there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Yep. We, uh, we're going, we're going to big bed this week. Uh, uh, Big yes. Bed is arriving. Big Bed's arriving in three days. Well, I so... yeah, she's three weeks into her Big Bed, and uh, it's something we need race. to talk Fuck. about. Again, see <laughs> what I'm saying? The whole fucking time that Wolfie's been alive, it's been a fucking race between her. He's fucking four weeks older than Iona, and she's three weeks ahead into the Big Bed. Fuck. Wolfgang, fucking get on get your game, here. son. Get in here. I would love it if I that's what... Pu- you don't know what push-ups are, but I'm going to need a lot of them. <laughs> Season four is just Osher admonishing his son live on air, 20 minutes straight, no interruptions. For not being able to keep up with Iona. Uh, Osher, thanks for doing the show. I'm Charlie Clawson. Oh, see you later. Oh, we're not on Tofop. I'm Will Anderson. Goodbye. No, you're not. <laughs> Moshe Ginsberg, good night. <laughs>